If I could learn to teach myself and all of you one skill, it would be the one that Paul is trying to teach the Philippians in this morning's text. It's the skill of finding peace no matter what the circumstances. Again, this is the way that Paul puts it. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, how I wish I could impart this ability to each one of us, me included. I do know one method that won't work, and that is to command it. In all of history, do you think it has ever worked that in the midst of an incredibly stressful, chaotic situation to tell someone, relax, take it easy? I occasionally catch myself doing this with our two little dogs, uh, Mocha and Wallace. Someone will knock at the front door and our dogs go crazy, bark, 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 and they run to the front door, barking, 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 they run back to us, bark, 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 they run back to the front door, they're just going back and forth and barking, barking crazy, and I catch myself yelling something stupid like, calm down, or quiet. And of course, it has zero effect on them. If anything, it probably gets them more riled up. And truthfully, that tactic is about as effective on human beings as it is on animals. Simply commanding someone, even ourselves, relax, be at peace, doesn't really work. Now, Paul actually does attempt this tactic a few times in our passage. Right at the start, he says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. He commands it twice. Rejoice. Does it work? Eh, probably not. At least probably not directly. Then in verse 6, he says, this is even better. Do not be anxious. That's even usually less successful than a positive command. Again, how often has it ever worked to command someone, don't be afraid? Thankfully, Paul gives us much more to work with. He gives us things to do. And what he encourages us toward is twofold. Find peace in the presence of God. And find peace in the presence of God in prayer with thanksgiving. Let's start with the first part about finding peace in the presence of God. In verse 5, Paul makes uh, this rather stark, it kind of stands out, declaration, the Lord is near. Let me read that. He says, uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. And he goes on. Now, commentators aren't at all sure whether that thought, the Lord is near, goes with what Paul just said or what, with what Paul says next. So, do we let our gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near and therefore that's how 
We want God, Jesus, to, to find us when the Lord returns. Or, since the Lord is near, don't be anxious about anything. Personally, I think it's a little bit of both. Paul is a very uh, enthusiastic writer. He often will get caught up in tangents and, and go off. Um, and I think he probably wrote, the Lord is near as a reason to express our gentleness. But then as soon as he thinks about the Lord being near, it also reminds him that Jesus's presence can calm us in all of our worries. And those don't necessarily flow in one continuous uh, thought pattern, but that's Paul is often just one thing reminds him of another. But then Paul continues with the thought by encouraging his sisters and brothers in Christ. The Lord is near, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Something about that step of presenting our worries and our fears to God, that talking with God and communing with God has a profound spiritual impact. Paul says, present these things and, verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We don't know how it all works, like I was saying with the kids, but consciously being in the presence of God brings deep peace to both heart and mind. Paul adds one other clue about finding peace in the presence of God at the end of verse 7 when he says, the peace of God will, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, for Paul always, it is that deep communion that we have with the divine through Christ Jesus that allows us to truly experience, experience in the fullness of us, the peace of God. For Paul, peace is found in God's presence, and he encourages us towards that. And Paul adds, God's presence is most readily found in prayer with thanksgiving. In verse 6, we hear a thought about prayer that we would normally associate with anxiety and worry. We hear, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. When we're afraid, when we're worried, when we're upset, it seems very natural that we would both turn to God in prayer and ask for help, petition God for change, for strength, make petitions and requests. That seems understandable. The key here, though, is the part about with thanksgiving. Present your petitions and your requests in prayer with thanksgiving. And we need to be very careful with this idea. We do not give thanks for every situation. We do not give thanks for situation, but in every situation. 
in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. This is also the key to that encouragement at the very beginning to rejoice in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. This is not about, again, rejoicing for the circumstances. It's about rejoicing in God and God's presence and all of those things. So this is not about just placing a smile on our, our, our face, uh, putting a plucky smile no matter what. This is about the conscious choice of finding things about God and about God's world to actively give thanks for even in the midst of situations that are difficult and hurtful. The active hard work of looking for God's goodness and beauty and justice in the world often allows us to rest in a larger picture, in peace, to find peace. We hear examples of this in both of our other scriptures. In the Hebrew First Testament, we read, again, God put an end to evil, avenging God, show your colors, judge of the earth, take your stand. God, the wicked get away with murder. It, there's this acknowledgement of all that is difficult, that is, is bad. And yet, we know that God does not uh, ignore these things. Think again, you idiots, you fools. How long before you get smart? And then further, how blessed are those you train God, you instructing your, your word, providing a circle of quiet within the clamor of evil. God will never walk away from God's people. And again, towards the end there, the minute I said I'm slipping, I'm falling, your love God took hold of me and held me fast. When I was upset and beside myself, you calmed me down and cheered me up in your presence. In this prayer, there's a full acknowledgement of evil and suffering. It is not evaded. And there is no attempt to minimize or ignore evil and suffering. And thanks is given for the truth that God will not be mocked forever. Thanks that God hears the cries of the suffering and will act. And therefore peace is found in the presence of God when the fullness of hurt and lament and thanksgiving is brought to God. We hear similar words in Jesus' other uh, Jesus' own words to his disciples in that gospel passage. Again, um, in fact, you are about to make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandoning me, but I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all of this so that trusting in me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I have con conquered the world. Again, there it is. In this world, you will continue to have difficulties. But even in the midst of this evil world, we give thanks. 
we can give thanks at least that Jesus has conquered the world and therefore we can find deep peace by being directly in God's presence. We find peace in God's presence and we find God's presence in prayer with thanksgiving. But I feel compelled to admit that even though I believe this all to be true and completely theologically sound, even though this is probably, as I said, the singular ability I wish I could impart to everyone, I'm very hesitant to preach about this subject, particularly the part about giving thanks in the midst of suffering. I'm hesitant for many reasons, but perhaps the single greatest reason is because of the additional suffering that I have seen well-intentioned Christians inflict on those already in great pain by, in their actions, in their words, maybe not even intentionally, but minimizing someone else's grief. Again, the scriptures and God never minimize grief, pain, suffering, evil. In fact, God and the scriptures reveal to us that grief, pain, suffering, evil must be recognized and called out by all people, even if it's not what they are experiencing, but they see other people experiencing. In addition to that, I have also hesitated to preach about giving thanks even in difficult times because it has taken me a long time to even glimpse an understanding personally of how this works. And people who are suffering know when words attempting to comfort are hollow. It's an entirely different experience to hear the same words from those who have lived them. For that reason, to close the sermon, I'm going to turn to the words of someone I have found able to speak about all of these things from a heart broken by personal tragedy, and yet with a voice of grace and truth that gives hope. When I first heard the premise of the memoir by uh, Anne Voskamp, 1,000 Gifts, I was frankly uh, a little bit repulsed. Um, everything about it seemed to me to scream insulting fluff. Just put a chipper smile on and it'll all be okay. The premise is that she receives an email challenge from a person to write down in a list form 1,000 things for which she is thankful. And the book cover design uh, does the content of the book no great favors. It's sort of this gauzy, light-filled picture of a white woman's hands holding a bird's nest with two light blue robin's eggs in it. The back of the book has this smarmy little headline, Wake Up to a Thousand Blessings. What the cover belies is the tremendous pain and personal suffering that Ms. Von Kamp and her immediate family have endured in their lives. The fierce courage and honesty with which she confronts her own anger and doubt and struggles 
and the heartbreaking compassion she has for all suffering. All of that and the beauty of her art in crafting words to share these thoughts in a way that moves deeply. I'm not going to go into a great deal about her own personal horrific experiences. I'll only say that she speaks as a soul that knows. Rather, I, there's one experience, though, that I will share that when she is talking to her brother-in-law, who has also experienced deep pain. In the span of less than two years, her brother-in-law's two infant children died slow, agonizing deaths from the same rare genetic lung disease. These were also Anne Voskamp's nephews, and she was with the whole family in the, the beds in the two different times uh, in the hospitals when the, when the boys died. In one painful con- conversation with, uh, between Ms. Voskamp and her brother-in-law after the second nephew, the second boy has died, she asks him essentially, how can you go on? How can you go on and still believe in a loving God? His answer at the time, along with this journey over time of writing out 1,000 things to be thankful for, led her to a point of being able to say with hard-earned authenticity, God is always good and I am always loved. This is the way she writes it herself. I picked up a CD and ran my hands across the letters. And the moment opens unexpectedly. I'm in the cemetery kneeling, tracing the only five letters carved deep in the slab of granite laid down in the dirt. A-I-M-E-E, loved one. Amy is the name of her older sister who was uh, run over and killed by a delivery truck in the driveway of their home when Anne was four years old and she was stuck in a living room looking through a window watching it all happen without able to do anything about it. That's her son. Her, she's remembering, tracing the name of her sister on the tombstone. I remember her silken hair. I still don't. I still don't know why God took her. I don't know why her children don't run free on spring days with mine, laugh with my sisters. And don't know why my parents' hearts were left to weep, eroding all away. Though I cry, this I know. God is always good, and I am always loved. My gratitude journal is lying open on its permanent home on the counter, enumerating moments, making a ledger of God's love. It is G.K. Chesterton who encapsulated the truth of my numbering life. The greatest of poems is an inventory. I grin in the midst. No, I'll never stop the counting, never cease transcribing the ballad of the world, the rhyme of God's heart. God and I, a couplet. Count 1,000 gifts, bless the Holy One. Commune with his presence, filling the laundry room, the kitchen, the hospital, the graveyard, 
the highways and byways and workways and all the blazing starways, God's presence filling me. This is what it means to fully live. God is always good and I am always loved. Even in the midst of an evil, hurtful world, we can find peace. We find peace in God's presence, and we find God's presence in prayer with thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God.